Hello and welcome to the spiritguides.co.uk network radio show with your host Mark Chatterton. Today we are pleased to welcome on the show Derek Akora, one of Britain's best known mediums who is a well-known face on TV. Derek has been practicing as a medium for over 30 years now and has become famous not just in the UK but also in America, the Middle East and New Zealand. Fronting such programs as Most Haunted, Derek Akora's Ghost Towns and Paranormal Egypt. He is also the author of several books on the paranormal, dealing with the many experiences he has had over the years. He is now currently touring the UK with his Eternal Spirits tour and has kindly taken a break in the tour to talk to us today. So welcome to the Spirit Guides radio show, Derek. Good morning, Mark. It's nice to speak to you. Okay, let's start off with um, you, you were born in Liverpool back in 1950 can you remember yes. much about growing up there in the 50s well i do yes i mean <clears throat> we actually lived in my grandmother's house uh, as a family until the age well just uh, before i was seven and uh, mum and dad couldn't actually afford um, a house so and naturally they went on the council list but you know they were waiting a long long time but it was at the age of well just before i was seven we moved up to um entryway um, but I remember, you know, very vividly my days uh, living at my grandmother's house because, um, as I say, we were there as a family. Our schooling was virtually um, the gates of the school were opposite my grand's front door. Everything was convenient for us kids. Um, and, yeah, I remember uh, with affection uh, my days uh, living at my grand's before we moved up to Aintree. Okay, so when you were a child, you had your first psychic experience um, seeing the spirit of your grandfather. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about what happened there? Well, actually, um, <clears throat> as I say, our schooling was right opposite. And uh, naturally, I, I had a, a brother, an older brother, elder sister, um, that were going to the same school. We went to school this one morning, um, and we came back naturally after school. Gran had this, because she lived in a big old Victorian house, she had the... Um, the top room at the top of the house made into like a kiddie's playroom. So when we come home from school, before we sat down for dinner, um, we'd go and play the three of us up in the, in the top room, in the attic, as they call this. And um, when called down for dinner, we'd come down. And we were called this one evening by uh, uh, my mum and my grandmother. And uh, Colin was the first to get down the stairs. Barbara followed him and the young tyke. I was the last one to get down the stairs so many flights, got to the next bottom level and suddenly I heard this like noise and then a banging and I turned to the left and suddenly there I was just shocked, I was stunned. There was a man standing in the doorway of the bedroom. Uh, I could see him very clearly. I could see the suit he was wearing. Um, it was a three-piece suit, a dark, like slaty grey colour uh, waistcoat and um, he walked over towards me. I froze, I couldn't move. Because for those moments, those seconds, I thought there was an intruder in the house. I thought there was a stranger in my grand's house because I could see him. And I knew nothing about ghost spirits or anything like that uh, at that tender age. I was only six. And he spoke to me. And when he stopped talking to me, I just bolted down the stairs, or the last level of stairs, ran into the kitchen area where grand and mum were preparing the meal, uh, and told them, that there was a strange man up in the bedroom. Of course, they uh, got hold of both my hands and raced me up the stairs, um, suddenly to find that there was no one there. Of course, 
even at the tender age of six, I what was going through my mind is my mum and my grandmother won't believe me and not believing me because he's not here. Where's he gone? Is he hiding? And it was only, I suppose, a brainwave from Gran as we got downstairs. She sat me at the table that was prepared for our, you know, evening dinner. And she said, you sit there, son. And she went over to a, an old cupboard that she had, opened it and brought this old tin box out and took the lid off it and emptied the contents onto the table. And there were these old photographs, images of people just head and shoulders, fully dressed and whatever, men and women who I'd never seen before. And she asked me to patiently look and see if I could see uh, the man in any of these photographs. And I was looking, and then suddenly I, I saw one. One was of head and shoulders of him, and the other was, would you believe it, in a three-piece suit, like a charcoal grey colour. Um, and I immediately jumped, and I said, Grand, this is the man, who is he, who is he? She looked immediately at my mum, and the, both women said nothing to me. They said, that's okay, that's okay. And now look, um, we'll go and look for him, and we'll find him, and we'll make sure he goes out the house. Now, they deemed it apparently at the time that I was too young for them to try to explain to me what I'd experienced. Yeah. Uh, and as it was, photographs were of my grandfather, who passed away two and a quarter years before I was actually born, so I knew nothing about him. Right. Um, and that was my first experience. So Gran then realized, out of the children, three of us, that I was the one who would follow in her footsteps. I had the gifts, because she was a medium herself. And it went back in our family. Oh, it could be traced back hundreds of years. But the ironical, strange thing was she said to me, son, you've broken the mold. This is when I was of age. She sat me down and explained. You've broken the mold because you're the first male in the history of the family who's got the gifts. It's always been the ladies. Right. And I didn't like the sound of that. <laughs> when, she, when she expressed it, that I'd seen a spirit person, you know. Yeah. So um, gradually, as you got older, you got more into football. And I understand when you were a teenager, you became a professional football, first with Wrexham FC and then with Liverpool FC. Yes. Did you think then that you'd made it in life and that your life was all mapped up out for you? Well, I did actually because football was my passion. Football was my life. Even as a, a, a young boy where girls used to go to bed with the dollies and the teddy bears, I would never settle and go to bed unless I had my football. Uh, it was just ingrained in me. It was me. It was, and I certainly didn't want to be a medium, you know, following my grand's footsteps, you know, dealing, as I thought then, with ghosts and ghoulies and things like that, as I thought, not understanding the spirit world. Uh, no, so football was my passion, and it broke my heart when, you know, uh, I didn't make the grade with Liverpool. I got as far as the reserves, but I couldn't break into the first team. In those years, in the great Bill Shankly's days, every player that was in the squad, never mind the full 11, they were all internationals playing for England, Scotland, Wales. You know, I had great players like Ian St. John, Roger, Ian St. John for Scotland, Roger Hunt, centre forward for England. You know, and Willie Stevenson, left half for Scotland. Rowdy Yates, centre half for Scotland. Uh, Jeff Strong, who played a couple of games for England. Gordon Milne for England. You know, Chris Lawler, England. So it, it was difficult. And there was a number of players, when I think back, who I still know to this day, who, were, in honesty, were even better players than me, uh, who were at the club at the same time. And they, you know, Shanks let them go to lower division clubs. And so it was disappointing because we all wanted to play for Liverpool Football Club. That was it. Yeah. 
So you you went back to Wrexham, I understand, and then you I did. You played for various other other football teams, and you ended up yes. in Australia playing for. I did, and then yes. I think your marriage broke up then, and you came back to England. Yes. Yeah, it must have been quite a difficult time for you then. Well, you see, our marriage didn't break up in Australia. Right. It was when we came back because I had an injury. That's what brought me back, an injury to my knee and had a couple of operations and uh, the damage to the, um, the cruciate ligaments and what have you was uh, so much so that the club uh, specialist told me that was the end of my footballing days. So that was another shock. Came back to England and everything just went wrong in the sense of my marriage and everything. Uh, it was really topsy-turvy. Um, but, you know, it wasn't so long after coming back and realizing that, you know, although I'd started a coaching badge, I hadn't got far into it when I was in Australia, so I couldn't go and apply for coaching jobs or anything like that. So I was in the right pickle. Um, and then suddenly I had this, for want of a better word, a nightmarish three or four months where I'd go to bed at night and I'd sort of be worrying what am I going to do and um, spending money that, you know, uh, I'm not earnings and my, my, my savings were really uh, drained and so on and so forth. So I was in a right little pickle. And then I went through this stage of every time I went to bed, I'd go into these like vivid dreams um, of seeing places, going to a place, not understanding it. It really got me um, really perturbed. Uh, by this time, Gran had passed over, so I couldn't go to her and ask her, you know, about these uh, vivid dreams I was having. And someone had said to me to go along to um, a local spiritualist church where there was a lovely um, medium, a lovely old lady that knew my grandmother, actually, um, and she would help me. So I, I went along there one particular Wednesday evening, and she did the service, very beautiful service, and I asked to speak to her afterwards, and she took me into the back room, and we had a cup of tea and a biscuit, and I explained to her, and she said, well, this is your calling, Derek. Can't you remember your grandmother telling you that, you know, you had these gifts? And I said, yeah, but I'd pushed them away. I didn't want to know that football... Well, your football days are over. And she said, um, uh, in that sense, she said, so you've got to be thinking about what you should be doing, but this is what you should be doing. So she gave me advice. Yeah. So she immediately said to me to join um, she, uh, at her church to join a developing circle, which I did. And then uh, I, I wasn't long into the circle at all. And she, she was the one, my mentor, who said to me, Spirit want you to start working now. And she told me how to go about it. And before I knew it, I placed an ad in the paper. And I was going out to people's homes to do readings for parties of ladies and men. And when I, I, it got so popular that I was really, really sought after that, um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to open a place where I can do readings from like a, an office type thing. And I did that. And... Uh, that's, it never stopped from there on in. Radio called me, television called me, and, you know, the rest is history, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, because obviously you've become quite a well-known face on television. Yes. You, you also do a lot of tours and go around theatres. Do which do you prefer, being on television or being in a theatre? Well, personally, I've always, always, always uh, enjoyed and liked, even to this day, the live uh, connections with people where you know you, you're there with them when you're on television okay you, you might be working with colleagues but in front of you is just cameras 
um, and you don't get feedback from cameras. Um, so if you ask me that honest, deep, honest question, I'd say I prefer live. But it doesn't mean to say that I don't like doing television. I also have enjoyed television for a number of years before most dawns that I was with Granada for nearly five years and did programs like The Psychic Zone, Derek Acora's Predictions, Out and About with Derek Acora, Psychic Lifetime. I did all that before most haunted for five years. So all the mixture where I've been allowed, I've been a very fortunate man and a very fortunate medium to be given the opportunity in those days to come on television and do live readings and predictions where I had a small audience um, and that going out live. So, yeah, um, I still say live, but, you know, I'd, uh, a good program in the uh, psychic field, in the paranormal field, um, I wouldn't say no to. Right. Uh, of all these different TV shows that you've done over the years, what would you say would be your most favourite one? A lot of people immediately would react and say, surely it's got to be Most Haunted, Derek. Well, yeah, Most Haunted in, in, in the first maybe four or five series was, um, yeah, I, I totally enjoyed. Um, and it was excellent, good. However, um, what saddened me was that Living TV uh, gave me my own program. They developed a program called Derek Acora's uh, Ghost Towns. And we only managed to do, what, two, two, three series um, and three um, Derek Acora's Ghost Towns live, like most haunted lives. And I thoroughly enjoyed that program, uh, even more so. Um, but that surprises people. Um, I also, uh, on merit, absolutely adored doing the five, six weeks in Egypt, doing paranormal Egypt, because that allowed me for the first time and probably the first medium on camera I believe, on a televised show, yeah. uh, being allowed uh, by the um, Egyptian government and the head of antiquities, Dr. Hawass, um, to allow a medium to come in and do this. Um, at the time, it was so untrue, this, that whilst we were in Egypt, um, before we were given the green light, um, the producers of Living TV were out discussing in negotiation with Dr. Hawass um, to do this program because it wasn't signed away from England. Um, and whilst they were, we were out there waiting in the hotels, um, an American, two American networks were also sitting with Dr. Hoas um, on different days. And he had to decide which uh, network he was going to let you for the first time come into Egypt and um, deal with their ancestors. Um, and he turned down both the, the two top American networks for a, a, a niche channel like uh, Living TV. Um, and our budgets, um, funny enough, he turned down a lot, a lot more money from the Americans than what he got from Living. So he must have, um, he had me vetted, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, it was because of the vetting, apparently, he liked, he preferred me rather than to these American mediums who were with the American networks. So Living TV got really off the hook there by getting it um, for a third of what it would have cost the Egyptians, uh, and say the Americans, I should say, for their uh, televised program of a similar type program. Um, and also on every investigation, Dr. Wahawas and his colleagues, his underlings and what have you, they were always, always there 
at every investigation, no matter where we went in Egypt, and we went to vast places out in the desert for 12-hour drives and far-off places, places that some uh, the public had never seen. Uh, so it was a, tr- a true privilege uh, to connect with uh, uh, spirit people from four or 5,000 years ago. Yes, because I, I know... Um you you work through your spirit guide sam yes and you you tell the story about how in a previous lifetime you were in i think it was ethiopia that's correct and then you were were told about being a, a medium in this country is, is that right that's right yeah. uh sam you know I'd, I'd got to know sam in that previous life because in those times in in ethiopia sam was actually um doing a similar not the same a similar thing he was known as a seer or an oracle to villages, and he'd come and walk to many, many places, and he'd go into villages and he'd tell them about, you know, uh, what he could see was going to happen in the immediate future, about, you know, harvest and things like and he used to feed him. So, basically, he was a medium in those days, and he knew me as an Ethiopian boy uh, in the family, and he knew my parents, and, and you know. So, yeah, that, that's where we, our relationship um started right on on your work you apart from working with humans you do quite a lot of work with animals uh, i do how do the spirits of animals differ from those of humans would you say well they differ in in in, in many aspects because uh, the intellect uh, as opposed with the humans as opposed to sheer instinct with animals um there's a, 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 a thing called, talked about from the world of spirits, about the universal language where intellect does not interfere or need, need be. Um, and it's in sensing and feeling what animals go more so than human beings. So in the contact with animals, um, yes, uh, in the program I did at, at Living, uh, no, at Sky, where I had my own program, you know, gallery of, of people, and I used to invite people to bring their living uh, pets in, and I could actually make connection with them if they were upset or something was happening. But also, I'd bring those animals uh, to the audience who's, you know, the, who are the, their loved ones, yeah. uh, and bring them through and describe and tell the owners what the animals were saying. So there is a, an out-and-out universal language. Uh, so there's no barrier between the human and the animal. Uh, once the human has passed to the realms of spirit, as does the animals to the animal kingdom in the world of spirit. Yes, because obviously with with spirits, um, that you say, I remember reading in one of your books that spirits are still obviously involved with, with the living, and I read this quite interesting story where there was a spirit who, who passed over and his wife had gone against his wishes and had him cremated rather than buried, and he yes. was quite angry about that. Yes. So they obviously know what's going on down here. Oh, of course they are. They're very conscious. They're still conscious beings um, because they're constantly visit- visiting us um, all the time, From uh, which they can do. We can't go over to visit them because we're still in the physical body, but we've got to understand they're of ethereal body. They're of spirit body now, and they can move about um, uh, at speed, um, and come into our atmosphere and be back out of it within, well, less than, I don't know, your timing it instantly. 
So um, they're always coming over, visiting on birthdays, when children are born, when people are celebrating, when people are sad, they come over to try and give us, you know, support, even though best part of the time that people are not seeing them or hearing them, that they're all the same. So mothers don't change and fathers don't change, nor do grandparents or brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles. They hold on to their personality. They're still the same. They have free will, just like us here, and they can exercise their free will in a manner in which um, if they deem uh, it's necessary, um, they'll come into the atmosphere and stay around for a little while and try to solve if there's problematic conditions happening with their families back here. They will try and solve, and in many cases, they will work behind the scenes to make something happen to rectify or help the situations that is occurring in our lives. Yeah, because I, I know you, you do a lot of help to people on your um, live tours and everything. I try to, yes. Yeah. Um, at the moment, you, you're doing this Eternal Spirits tour, which is taking you all over Britain. How is that going? It's going absolutely. I couldn't ask for it to go better. You know something? I'm enjoying this, this the tour probably the best I've done in all tours up to now, and I've done a lot of tours over the years. Um, it seems as if the people who are coming to the uh, in the audience now are really, really uh, cottoning on as opposed to what they were like 10, 20 years ago, even 30 years ago, because they've seen the paranormal programs and they are relating to the ism, as we call it, more than ever because they're coming out of the, the closet, so to speak, I say, you know what, 10 years ago, I would dare speak about I've experienced that or this to my friends, my work colleagues, or even some of my family. But now they're not afraid because they're equating to it. They're understanding it more. And, of course, we're getting this flux of of people who are coming in who are more knowledgeable uh, and more accepting uh, than what they've ever been. And um, so it's it's been delightful. It's been a fabulous experience. And um, I've got a very big tour in front of me. And I'm just eating, you know, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm loving it. That's good, because um, one question I was going to ask you was, um, last year, there was a lot of talk about the year 2012 being a, a year of great change, and many people believe that the 21st of December 2012 was going to be a special day. Mm. Obviously, that's been and gone, and we're now in the year 2013. Do you do you see the future as one of hope, and there's going to be big change coming, or is it... Oh, absolutely. But you see the thing, I, I, I had it documented, that even the, the autobiography that I'm writing now, unfortunately, did not come out in time, but I'd been saying to so many people, when they were asking me about, you know, the mind uh, clock and this, that, and the other, I actually went out, uh, paid for it myself, with my wife, to certain locations in the world, to check out about all this with the Mayans and, uh, you know, the fear of the world ending. And I, I come to my conclusions then, and we're talking about three years ago. And I did say, and I said in many big interviews in magazines, you know, this is not going to happen. Yes, there are subtle changes that are going on. Um, forget the Mayan clock, so to speak, and let's go with the universal clock. And the universal clock says, yes, of course there are changes that have got to happen. Um, uh, but you see, the changes, uh, firstly, would be more evident in the climate. And as we've seen uh, in the last couple of years, uh, certain things that have erupted, certain things that we've had, you know, we've had the Samanis and, and things like that. So it, it seems to be coming in the picture of like 
I suppose, nature uh, causing uh, these subtle changes, um, but it, it's only been disasters. However, um, these changes are meant to take place, and, you know, we're talking about changes taking place subtly over the next 50 years, not drastically. The only things that seem to be drastic um, are the the natural elements caused through Mother Nature. Outside that, the other changes that are taking place are not really tangible and not seen. Uh, my belief is that you see change in humanity, in the consciousness. What it means that the people who are here, changes are taking place subtly within the consciousness. The people who are, uh, their consciousness is being uplifted to a slightly higher level. Uh, being your, you know, being more humane, and all these tyrants that uh, have you noticed? Uh, people who wanted to hurt fellow men are all being at one point or the next point caught and actually taken away from the planet. Uh, I know we call it death, but um, so yes, uh, the angels of uh, mercy. Uh, from the realms of light and spirit are working, but it's it's not to come in a drastic way to have humankind believe there's a disaster in front that's going to destroy the world because that's not the case. It's a new beginning, but a beginning of progression. Uh, but that progression can take anything up to fifty to one hundred years. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. Because obviously, um, you you talk. Of- in your shows and in your books about angels and yeah. guides and everything. So for anyone who's listening, you, you would say that we are all being guided and helped along the way. Oh, absolutely. Every single person that is here in the life incarnate has being helped. Might be uh, to them as if they're not, but it, it, they are. And, you know, there, there, there are going to be amazing things. Uh, I mean, here again in progression... Um, in research with medical things, look at uh, the state of health with people across the world and some of these major um, uh, things of ill health such as your cancers and you know as we're going forward part of that great cycle of change is for humanity to find uh, absolute out now cures where life expectancy as we go forward is not just by chance going to be uh, not calculated. I mean, in 50 years' time, uh, I'm expecting people uh, who are living then, who are young people, to probably get to anything from 100 to 125. And the average uh, standard of life here would be probably up to 100 years. Yeah. So that's progression, part of the great task. Okay. um, Just one final question. You, You mentioned that you were writing your autobiography. Yes. Yeah, um, what, what's the future hold for Derek Kokora then? Well, you know, we have hopes, don't we, yeah. Mark? Um, I, I like to try to imagine, imagine um, what I would like to do. Uh, certainly, there's a lot I'd still want to do, and I, I've been told by Spirit there's a lot I've got to do. Um, but I'd like to think, if we're talking about television, I would like to um, be doing something that is helpful to people, also helping people's understanding in a greater level 
of the world of spirit and the life after here um, to by understanding that to enjoy the present life even more because we are eternal we can never be snuffed out we go on and on to new life um, so yeah I'd like to the idea of television work um, in actual fact right now at this moment I've been in deep talks with uh, different television networks about ideas you know program ideas um, I'm going out um, with a major organization um, in August to a certain part of America to do live works across America and also I'm in talks very strongly uh, with an American network that are very interested in putting me on television in America. Oh that's great well we'd like to thank you very much for agreeing to come and talk to us today and we wish it's my pleasure with with your um, tour we'll put all the the link to the, all the dates that you've got coming up and if anyone's listening that wants to go and hear and see Derek Akora we've got got a link there for you so thank you ever so much Derek for that Mark it's been my pleasure thank you